your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solo. All right, welcome to a Thursday. Busy day today. I've got Carla Bloom from the International Owl Center on in just a couple of minutes. She's going to talk to us about, not about the Owl Center. Well, we could talk about the Owl Center a little bit, but also about some ATV trails that are proposed to go up in Houston, the city of Houston. And uh, maybe a little bit of a fight for or against those having ATV trails. I can imagine being a, living here in La Crosse. If you just picture having ATV trails in Hickson Forest, right, right at, around Grandad Bluff. Imagine, and not just ATV trails. I say ATV trails, but I mean OHV trails. So pretty much anything, trucks, motorcycles, ATVs, uh, pretty much anything motorized. Uh, just imagine trails up in Hickson Forest, up and around uh, the bluffs, uh, just buzzing around all day. <laughs> so that's kind of what Houston's going through. In my head, I'd be like, if I live in Houston, I don't want ATV trails above me. But I would say on the flip side, other people probably do. Because they don't care about the noise. I'm just thinking noise. I have a four-wheeler, so it's not like I don't like riding the four-wheeler. So she'll join me after that, State Senator Brad Paff. He's our state senator here in the 32nd District, right? Uh, we'll talk to him about, we could talk to him about a slew of things. If, you've, if you have anything you want me to ask, text me, 608-785-7914. I've got too much, I've got a lot to talk about with him. Um, partly the, the, the idea that the, Republicans that control the state legislature just took Governor Evers' budget, threw it in the garbage, and said, we're going to work off the budget we made a couple years ago. We're going to use that budget. Which is funny to me because I feel like something happened in the last two years that would change um, maybe how you strategize the budget for the next two years. Something, I don't know, do you guys remember the thing that happened? That one thing over the last two years that happened that would cause maybe our state legislature to th- rethink how we might as a society function over the next probably two years. I would guess that we're going to, I would guess that thing that happened is going to affect us for two more years. Probably. Do you guys know the thing? Do you remember? Do you remember the thing? Still a thing. Still a thing. So uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. That's it. I'm just not going to tell you. So, yeah, those are the two things. I wanted I wanted to bring up a couple more things. I don't know if Brad's going to read this in the news. I just got this. Uh, but this one was funny from Holman. Holman Police Department. They posted us on Facebook. This is just cute, funny, nice. Uh, did you go grocery shopping today at festival in Holman? They asked that. So anyone that's hearing this and, and can say yes to these things, just listen. Did you get some groceries bagged in paper and plastic? No judging, just did you? Did you go home and and are you sure you brought everything on bought everything on your list, but you can't find it all? So did you take your groceries in? You're starting to unpack and you're like, uh, the Oreo cookies aren't in there. Uh, so essentially, if you lost two bags of groceries, call the call the home and police department. 
and identify the things that maybe are missing from, you know, you're you're putting groceries away. Or if you're like me, they just sit on the counter as long as they don't need to go in the freezer or the fridge. Uh, but yeah, so essentially they, they, a very cute way to say that somebody in home, and this is small town stuff, right? This is, but it's cute. And it's like, this is why you live in a small town. The police department has your groceries. Hopefully no donuts. And oh, I didn't. <laughs> But you know, I just thought that was funny. And also, uh, where did this other one go? I just lost it. Oh, here it is. Um, and uh, f- transition here. Uh, the Alaska Police Department is uh, just put out a press release, and I'll just read it real quick. Uh, Alaska officers responded to a, a possible human remains. Remember this uh, back in April 25th uh, on the embankment of State Highway 53 just off Sand Lake Road. The investigation efforts, along with preliminary findings from an autopsy performed in uh, in Minnesota on Alaska investigators, confirmed the identity of the remains to be Tyler D. Henry. Uh, and they, they report Mr. Henry was last reported seen September 2nd, 2020. Investigation has not revealed any signs of foul play in the death of Mr. Henry. The department is still awaiting a final autopsy report, which is expected to take several weeks. So there's uh so so the human remains that were found. And you know they they express their their condolences and sympathies and thoughts to the Henry family. The Alaska Police Department did, as every, we all do. Um, so Tyler Henry went missing. Looks like September second, twenty twenty, and his remains were found just off State Highway fifty three and Sand Lake Road. There, just south of Sand Lake Road, uh, a couple weeks ago, and that's that's where we're at with that. All right, I got to let Brad do the news. I'm going to call Carla here, and we can talk about uh, ATV motorized motor vehicle trails going through the bluffs. Just imagine that if you're living in La Crosse and there was just ATV trails all over uh, Granddad Bluff, you might like it. I, 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 I don't. I'm not. I'm not a big fan. Uh, all right, we'll be back. All right, welcome back to La Crosse Talk PM 608. 608- 785-7914 is the talk and text line. Carla Bloom's on with me. She Did we call you the CEO of the International Owl Center, Carla? <laughs> I'm the executive director. Executive director. I feel like you're owner, but are you not owner? No, it's a nonprofit. So it's a nonprofit. nobody is technically an owner. We have a board of directors. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Okay. Executive director of the I never I, I always forget to ask you. Uh, executive director. So the International Owl Center is in Houston. And uh, how long have you had that? How long, not you, but how long has that been around? Uh, we've been open to the public since 2015. 2000. And when do you plan on moving? Right? You're building a building or you're trying to build a building, a new building? Mm-hmm. Yep. So right now we're in a rented storefront um, and we've purchased five properties for our future building site on the north side of town. And um, we're hoping to build within a few years. All right. So uh, with that, and I don't necessarily want to talk about the International Owl Center, but it does what we want to talk about does affect you a little bit. Um, Houston, the city of Houston, and this will be at the city. This will go up at the city council meeting on May 10th. Uh, The idea of having OHV trails on uh, it is how many jokes about having because it's called South Park, right? These trails would go uh, in and through South Park, right? And on the south side of Houston. Yes, correct. Um, so probably a lot of South Park jokes or not really the TV show? Um, actually, not that I've heard. <laughs> so no South Park jokes. Unbelievable. Maybe they'll make an episode about it. They could. Yeah, um, there you go. But uh, so there's a couple of a couple of things. I, I, I talked about this earlier in the show. Just imagine living on the cross and on Granddad Bluff. Just imagine having, uh, you know, Jeeps, trucks, dirt bikes, 
four wheelers, whatever, just buzzing around all there. That that's essentially what's what could happen, right? Yeah, that is essentially what's proposed. So um, the bluff rises about 500 feet above Houston, and there would be trails on the north slope facing town and a few on the south slope, but the bulk of them are on the north slope. And our hill is not just flat. It's actually arched like a a natural amphitheater. So it's basically designed to send sound down into town. And if you're up in South Park, up in the bluffs, you can hear what's going on in town quite well also. So the sound transmits very easily back and forth. So they should put an amphitheater up there, really. No, I'm just kidding. There you go. <laughs> um, but but the idea here, so there's there there technically there are no hiking trails, but you yourself have gone hiking in that area, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, but the idea here would that, that uh, putting ATV trails or motorized vehicle trails uh, that might might be along with uh, the noise factor of everybody in town. There's there's an environmental aspect to this too, as well, right? Yeah, so the two biggest concerns are the noise um, for residents of town and, well, actually, probably the people all the way over to the other side of the valley, they'll hear it also. Um, but the other really significant one is erosion because the soils are all classified as highly erodible soils, and the hillsides are very steep. Um, so there's very significant erosion potential um, going on up there. And then there's some dry also the uh, rare habitat types. So we have dry bluff prairies up there. That's one of the rarest habitat types in the state, and the proposed trails go through them. Um, and then we also have timber rattlesnakes that use South Park, and they are a state-threatened species. All right, so and that'll, that'll definitely affect them as well. They, you, you told me this earlier, if, the, if you put uh, ATV trails through, the idea here of, of, of a threatened species like a timber rattler, if you're putting trails through their habitat, they're going to have to move, and they might move into town. That's one concern that's been expressed by several rattlesnake experts, is that if you disturb their natural habitat, where are they going to go? Farther away, and that's going to drive more of them into town is, uh, is what they're suspecting. We do get a few um, every year in some of the properties immediately adjacent to South Park. That's why we know they're there. Um, but And we do have a certified rattlesnake relocator in town, um, and he responds to those. But generally, I mean, the, the best bet for everybody, for the snakes and humans, is to minimize snake-human interactions. It's better for both. All right, so... Uh, the, the, now, the way this works, the city purchased this land. So, par, so they already had South Park, which was, now I forget the acreage, uh, 118 acres of South Park. And then there's they purchased 120 acres of land. But the purchase that the city did was for these uh, OHV trails, right? So if they don't build OHV trails, the dilemma here for the city is if, if uh, maybe the, the residents don't want the trails, then what happens with the land purchase, right? Right. And that's an unknown yet. Um, I've asked the DNR to um, for what that procedure is. I've heard rumors that it involves condemnation of the land, selling the land, but it can't be sold for more than it was purchased for. So I think the DNR is in the process of gathering that information because I don't think this is a normal thing that, that happens. Um, and the trick for us was the land purchases happened at the, that was the very first thing that happened before there was actually an assessment of, is this a good and viable project? And um, because that happened at the beginning, and there are um, uh, terms that go right on the deed that it requires 20 years of OHV motorized vehicle use, um, it put the whole situation in kind of a really sticky spot. Okay, so they bought the land. They're going to use for OHV use. 
for the next 20 years, but forgot, oh, you know what? We should probably assess the land on whether or not, A, people want it there, B, it's environmentally safe to have it there, uh, even, you know, literally the ground and then the, you know, nature, the animals that live there. And and there's probably some other hoops to jump through now to, to see if it's it's going to be work out, right? Right. And so one of the things that I'm really pushing for is some kind of environmental assessment. Oddly enough, this falls through a bunch of holes. So the DNR currently, as it stands right now, is not intending to do any environmental assessment of the trail alignment, even though it's on highly erodible soils, on very steep hillsides, going through rare and um, rare habitats, and we know there's an endangered species there. So it seems very counterintuitive that the DNR wouldn't do some assessment, environmental assessment of that, because the funding is all, the grant and aid funding is administered through the Minnesota DNR. Oh, yeah, that doesn't, yeah, why, I mean, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't even have, do you have an answer? <laughs> do you know? Yeah, is there it's a. Be, it's because the DNR is not one uniform organization. I used to work for the DNR. Everybody from the outside kind of thinks, well, it's, it's one organization and they're there to protect the environment. Um, but the different divisions within the DNR actually can have different goals. So this is being pushed through DNR trails, which is very different from non-game, um, hydrology, forestry, um, the other divisions of uh, the Department of Natural Resources. So just because the DNR is behind this does not mean all the different divisions of the DNR support this. Um, who who would be putting in the trails? Would the DNR do that? And then how... You know, are they going to be like cement trails, dirt trails, uh, wood chip trails? Any idea there? Uh, the trail design was done by Trails Unlimited, which at that time was a branch of the U.S. Forest Service. Now it's a, um, they have a different name and they're a separate enterprise. Uh, I don't think they're part of the Forest Service anymore. I think they would, I don't know that they know exactly, but my understanding was those folks would oversee some people who are building, but a, a chunk of it would be involving volunteers from uh, OHV clubs in Rochester in the Twin Cities. Although the trail builders noted, or the trail designers noted that the trail building and design, or uh, building and maintenance, would require a very, very high level of skill, um, given the terrain. All right, so after the trails are built, then it would probably be pretty costly to to maintain them as well. Uh, But but also cost, sounds like a lot of cost to, to just build them. Um, are there any good aspects in your, in your, I mean, there, there is a fun aspect here, but well, I mean, it, it seems like there are a lot of bluffs that aren't right over a town. Could we do this somewhere else or, or will there always be an environmental impact to this? Well, there's always some, but if you look at some of the very successful ones, um, like up by Gilbert, Minnesota, it's in an old iron mine. So it's already degraded. Wonderful. Fantastic place to do it. Um, over by Appleton, Minnesota, they have um, a recreation area that is in an old gravel pit. Again, fantastic. Great place to do it. Um, they're close to town, but they're, they don't have the challenge that we have of having it elevated on a bluff above town. So on a normal topography where it's fairly flat, you can build uh, an earthen berm that physically blocks the sound from getting into town. Um, I talked to folks in City Hall, both in Gilbert and in Appleton, and they said you can't hear the sound in town at all. And I think that would be a fantastic thing. Clearly, there's demand for this. There's a lot of people that want this. And I think the people who are opposed to it are not saying, oh, my gosh, no OHV trails ever. But 
this just isn't the right place for it. Can't we do it someplace where it's not going to affect a thousand people that live there um, and where the environment is already more degraded? Yeah, and and, the, and if the people that live under it, and it's it, the city purchased this land, so there's there the city. If the people that live in the city don't like end up not wanting the thing that the city purchased, then we should be we should be trying to figure. Out, and I don't know where the city stands with that, but where have you gotten a good idea of where the people in Houston, Minnesota, stand with this trail? There are a lot of people very outspoken against it. So there's an organization, an informal organization of people who have gotten together. Um, basically Save Our Bluffs. You can go to saveourbluffs.com to get more information about the project and basically trying to educate themselves and everybody else about the impacts of this. And the reason for doing it is economic impact, but there's never been an economic impact study. There's never been any assessment of how many people might potentially come and use this trail. Um, Is it is the benefit worth the cost? And that really has never been looked at. And, and we think that's an important thing to look at and look at other sites um, where it's not going to be so impactful. But clearly, there is a demand for it. People want to do it. Um, so is there a different place that would make more sense? And this definitely will impact the International Owl Center. So it's not like you it, 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 having the trails here will definitely affect you. Would it, could this at all affect you in a good way? I mean, it would bring people to town. Right. So some people are saying, oh, but you'll get more visitors. Um, But when I talk to marketing and tourism experts, I've talked to multiple and independently, several of them have said, you're attracting a different type of tourist than Houston already has. So Houston, for the last 20 years, has been working to develop tourism around nature. And this is a different clientele that has different um, wants and needs. So they're looking for different amenities in town than the tourists that we currently have are. Um, and they have more, more than one person has suggested the tourist groups are not going to get along that well. And the Owl Center's uh, visitation would likely suffer to some degree because we know our visitors don't want to be hearing that. It's not something that fits within their comfort zone for a lot of them. And it's, it's you know, and as the Owl Center it kind of goes against our mission of making the world a better place for owls. And a lot of our visitors care about that type of thing. So if they see our community doing this and be like, oh, this kind of diminishes my experience here, especially when we build our new outdoor aviaries where you're walking through the same space that an owl is in and there's nothing between you and the owl and you're hearing that in the background. It really is not a positive thing for us. All right. Two more questions. Uh, because you're you're running, you're an owl expert. Owls are nocturnal. They'd be sleeping when the ATVs eat. Uh, the the motorized vehicles would be buzzing around the trails. Can owl, owls uh, would that interrupt their sleeping pat- pattern? Um, it it would certainly change where they want to be. Um, and the problem is, it's very high trail density. So you've got 200 acres that you're wrapping seven and a half miles of trail into. So it's not like there's just a different corner they can go to that's going to be quiet. They may simply leave the area and not use it anymore. The animals that live there, they're used to not having people around them at all. Um, And some owls will tolerate people. Usually they're making an informed decision living in a city and they just grow up around people and deal with it. These owls that are there, there's a pair of barred owls out there. They are not used to being around people at all. So I wouldn't be surprised if they simply left the area. 
All right, and then um, you do all prowls. It, it, it probably affect that a little bit, but I think you 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 only do when when I say all prowl, you go on night walks to find owls. But you do those scarcely in, in different areas every time, right? Yeah, we scatter those around because when you're actively calling owls, you're basically bothering them. They're perceiving an intruder in their territory. So we make sure that we're not doing it in any one location more than three times scattered throughout the course of an entire year. So we don't want to be pestering them. Yeah, my my thought here, too, is if if the, you know, there's a dilemma with building, uh, you know, motorized trails through Houston and we want to figure out. I mean, I just if the town doesn't want it and the town bought it, hey, could we just make them hiking trails? We'll put hiking trails through there. I don't know if that but that might affect uh, the, 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 the habitat as well. Right. And that's that's the trick is balancing um, appreciation of nature with the impacts to nature. Um, there's areas up there that are just blanketed with amethyst shooting stars right now. Just incredible. But if you put trails through there, are some people going to say, oh, cool, let's, let's dig some of these and take them home? Um, are there going to be people pestering rattlesnakes up there? Um, but it's probably going to be lower impact than having trucks and ATVs and motorcycles going through. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's Carla Bloom. She's the executive director of the International Owl Center in Houston. Thanks a lot, Carla, for joining me. Thank you very much. All right, we got to hit Brad's news. Brad's news. I was going to say Brad's comment and the news. Uh, Scott's comment, then Brad doing the news. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Get right into it now. State Senator Brad Paffs on with me. He represents the district right here, the 32nd District. How's it going, Brad? It's going great, Rick. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I, I will say I always bring this up because I like to do a sports show. Uh, you, you got a bad feeling? I feel like John Kuhn is is easing our tension with the Aaron Rodgers talk. He said uh, there might be there might be some room to negotiate here. <laughs> I hope so. I, I'll be honest with you. I really hope so. I truly don't want to lose Aaron Rodgers. I'm a huge Packer fan, and I want to be clear: nobody's bigger than the organization. But having said that, Aaron Rodgers means so much to the Packers, and. Uh, we need to have him. Yeah, he might be bigger. He might be bigger, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> he may be. Yeah, he may be. Uh, the big news today, if we get into politics a little bit, obviously that's where we want to go with Senator Brad Paff here. Uh, the, the Evers proposed a budget uh, what, what is, a couple of weeks or months ago, and uh, Republicans in the, that control the state legislature, did they did they burn it? Did they, they could have just burned it, like had a little party outside. I don't know. Maybe there's a burn ban. But it, it just seems like they, they are they taking anything that Evers had in his budget? Well, they, you are right, Rick. The governor did uh, propose this budget uh, a couple months ago. Uh, and this budget's important. Uh, and I just want all your listeners to know why is a state budget important? Well, number one, it reflects our values and it reflects our priorities. Number two, you know, it funds our roads, funds our bridges, make sure that, uh, you know, the lights can stay on in our schools. And quite frankly, you know, it provides investments and investments, uh, you know, for our future as far as investing in people. But, yes, there was uh, some changes that were made uh, by the uh, uh, the legislative uh, majority party, the Republicans, when it came to the governor's uh, budget. And uh, they there was a number of things that uh, were pulled out of it uh, today. And uh, I have to go through and I have to look at this, but it's my hope that uh, we can make sure that any budget that passes the legislature and is signed into law is good for the people here of the Cooley region. When I when I uh, now I, I was reading it looks like they removed nearly 400 measures and three billion dollars from the budget. 
Uh, I don't know how, I, I guess, is there anything left after that? But the, the weird news to me, and I brought this up earlier in the show, is they're going to they're gonna go based on the, the budget from two years ago and kind of uh, go from there. They're going to start with the budget they used two years ago and go from there. Well, I made kind of a, a joke that, you know, something happened in the last two years that we all experienced uh, that maybe maybe thinks that the budget coming forward the next two years will help us recover from that thing that happened. I don't know, Brad. Did you experience COVID nineteen? I don't know if you did or not. I, I sure did, and you're exactly right, Rick. I mean, the thing is, is that we need to learn from the past, but we need to prepare and be ready for the future. And the thing is, is that uh, our small businesses and our workers and all of us experienced a very difficult 2020. And to think that we can go back to 2019. And uh, put this genie back in the bottle. I mean, that's not something that's really realistic here. We need to make sure that, you know, we do assist our small businesses that have experienced a very difficult uh, 2020. Our tourism industry, our restaurants, our bars, the hospitality uh, industry. To say anything about those individuals that, uh, you know, saw their hours cut or, quite frankly, they lost their job. I mean, we need to be, we need to be looking towards the future here. And that's why we need to have a state budget that, uh, you know, looks towards the future. And that's that's what I'm focusing on. And I do believe that uh, I'm optimistic. I think we can get there. Uh, this was the this was the first day in the budget negotiations that took place. And, uh, you know, uh, it's like, uh, you know, playing cards here. They 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 played the played their cards and we'll see what happens going forward here. All right. So if you, you talk about negotiations, a, uh, you're in a little unique. You're, and I bring this up. Maybe we should get beyond this, but you're in a unique position where you were fired by the Republicans in the legislature. But even just you being part of the minority in the state Senate and you know the the, the state legislature in general, uh, is there any ability to negotiate? Are you able to work? Will they even listen to you know you partic- in particular, but Democrats in general? Well, I will say this, as far as working, uh, in me in particular and individually, I, I have had the opportunity over the last four months. Again, I've been in this job for four months. I've had had the opportunity to be in a number of uh, public hearings uh, with my Republican colleagues. I've had the opportunity to have private conversations with my Republican colleagues. And what I try and do is I try and provide, find the best in everybody and find the common ground. Because I do believe at the end of the day, there's a lot of common ground that we can Fine. Are you fine. finding I any, also, Brad? Are you finding any common ground where, where we could, hey, if we're going to negotiate a budget, this is where we can, I mean, it's it's a pretty big deal, the budget. It is. It is. I do think there's common ground when it comes to uh, broadband expansion. I know I've been on your show in the past when we yep. talked about the importance of broadband, and I feel that there's real common ground there, and I think there's, uh, there's real opportunities. I think there's common ground when it comes to uh, small business assistance. And uh, we're going to continue to provide some small business assistance. So I think that there's come some common ground there. I want to make sure that we can find some common ground when it comes to uh, transportation as well. Um, and I want to find common ground on PFAS because one thing that we know is that these forever chemicals, they are not just in, uh, you know, Republican well water or Democratic well water. They're in, it's in well water around this, uh, around this state. We need to make sure that we help, uh, we help our constituents regardless if they're Republican or Democrat when it comes to this given issue. So I think there's common ground that can be found. I will forever try and find common ground. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's part of my DNA. Uh, you know, I come from a part of this district that uh, on the farm in which, you know, 
it didn't matter if you were a Republican or Democrat. You still had to get those cows milked every morning, and that's quite frankly the way I look at this job. We still got to get our job done. We're speaking with State Senator Brad Paff. Uh, Brad, when, okay, how about this? There's there's always some common ground, but what about giving up some ground? Will Republicans give up any ground? on stuff that Democrats want. Medicaid expansion, or badger care as you call it, I think, is is one of those that seems really obvious, and I'm not even affected by this, I live in Minnesota, but really obvious that the state should be taking Medicaid expansion. We're all paying this in federal taxes, right? And then the feds deliver this money to each state, except Wisconsin. Wisconsin's not taking this, so there's billions of dollars left on left off the table that Wisconsin could be taking why why are why aren't we finding common ground there with uh, taking a Medicaid expansion yeah that's a great question Rick and quite frankly you know the political parties have been talking past one another for the last 10 years and it's really turned into a political ideological uh, fight and um, you know you almost forget what this is all about. And I, I want to speak to the self-employed that are out there. Right now, those individuals that are carpenters or plumbers or over-the-road truck drivers or farmers, anybody that's uh, self-employed, they understand how costly it is uh, to buy health insurance. They understand what it is to order it, make ends meet and still put uh, food on the table for the family. And what this assistant is, assistance does, this badger care ex- uh, expansion assistance, is it helps lower the cost for this health insurance. And why this has turned into a political, ideological, partisan debate is beyond me. I don't understand it. I don't understand why we don't want to help our self-employed and the small business people that are out there, those that are working in the, quote, gig economy, why we don't want to be able to do that. States like Oklahoma and Missouri, you know, ruby-red states in the political uh, realm, they... They've accepted this money. They understand that this is important. And by doing this, not only are we providing, you know, health care for our residents, but what we're doing is we're assisting on the financial bottom line for numerous uh, families and uh, self-employed individuals. So I'm going to continue to advocate for it because the thing is, is that I'm not doing it just because it's a political issue. I'm doing it because I hear, I hear from small business owners. I hear from family farmers saying, Brad, what gives on this? And I say the same thing. Yeah, something's got to give. We've got to work together. Could, could Governor Evers, uh, you know, just put it out there, I'm going to veto any budget that doesn't contain Medicaid expansion and then go from there, like make that the starting point? I mean, there, there could be that, was, that could take place. The thing is, I do believe that there will continue to be negotiation when it comes to what we can do to make – to have health insurance for uh, individuals. Now, this is not something where you mandate or anything like that, but make it where it is affordable and there is uh, coverage that's available uh, for for our residents. Um, that is something that I think is a uh, bipartisan and something where people can come together here. But again, you know, we need to get beyond the headlines and we need to be able to listen and hear directly from those that are, you know, have concerns about this, what are their concerns, and what, what can we do in order to try and find some common ground? And I will continue to try and find common ground because I think that I, our residents, our neighbors here in this district deserve that. Uh, those that are self-employed, uh, they, they recognize how important this is.
All right. So you mentioned PIFAs earlier. Obviously, that's going on across the nation, across the state. It's happening in Madison. It's definitely happening here in French Island. The airport has been, you know, the the cause of this. It looks like from firefighting foam. Uh, the state. Do we have any talks in in the legislature? Just hey, we're going to ban PIFAs from firefighting foam and start there because the the clearly PIFAs and firefighting foam are contaminating our water. We shouldn't be using it. Yeah, I mean, clearly we have uh, we've all learned an awful lot here, and what what's happened in, in the lacrosse and what, in French Island. And the thing is, is that you know I do know that we're moving away from that. As far as an outright ban, I have not heard that, but I do know that there's real efforts to move move away from this. The conversations are taking place at the federal level as well, because the FAA, it's my understanding, and I'm no expert on federal issues, but it's my understanding the Federal Aviation Administration or a federal government uh, agency, you know, if they want, uh, you know, these fires to be put out. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of different, you know, uh, petroleum and lubricants and things like that, uh, and uh, maybe these fires need to be put out quickly. Um, so, you know, what can we do to make sure that we have alternatives so we don't have a forever chemical like we have right now? But having said what you uh, brought up, uh, this is the reason why we need to have cooperation between, you know, our federal, state, and our local units of government. Because at the federal level, it's my understanding there's not even a standard as far as, you know, what what is an acceptable uh, standard for PFAS when it comes to, you know, groundwater. We don't have those kind of standards. It's my understanding uh, that Congressman Kine is taking a lead in Washington, D.C., as far as working to establish a standard what I'm doing at the state level is this. I want to make sure that we've got the, the dollars available for well testing because, as uh, many of your listeners know, uh, over one-third of the state's water uh, that people have for groundwater is coming from private wells. Of course, all of rural Wisconsin basically is private wells. And the thing is, we need to make sure we can test our wells to make sure that that's uh, all good and safe. And second of all, for those that do have you know, PFAS in their wa- water, um, you know, we need to have some remediation and some mitigation efforts. What is that? Is that filtration systems? What does those filtration systems look like? How can they be put uh, put on a private well uh, so we can make sure that we've got uh, you know safe drinking water? Do you have anything that you can put on the table as the state senator here that says, all right, you know, the, the city of La Crosse could be affected by this. French Island's definitely affected by this. You know, it even sounds like the, the water supply, giving them free water, free bottled water, you know, be, until this problem is resolved. It sounds like that's going to end. Uh, you know, that stuff can't end. What what kind of things can you do as a senator to, to start the ball rolling on, uh, you know, figuring out the, the, the end of this problem? Yeah, when that's the... I mean, that is a great, great question, Rick. And I, I will say this, is that, uh, you know, first of all, this can't end soon enough. But uh, as you know, I mean, this we still got a lot of work to do here. I mean, the, the most immediate thing we can do is we've got to make sure that we still have our eyeballs. We're following this and we're watching this very closely to make sure that uh, our residents and our homeowners do have the bottled water, that that is still taking place, that, you know, our governmental agencies at the state level working you know, with you know, some friends and partners at the private uh, sector have been providing free bottled water, and I greatly appreciate that. And we need to do what we can to keep that going. But we do need—that's why this state budget is so important. We do need to have these dollars that are there in order to have the re- mitigation and the remediation put that in place. Uh, that needs to get done. This is just not ideological or partisan talk. This is real life. 
uh, situation that needs to get done. So what I can put on the table is this. I will continue to advocate on behalf of the people in, the, in, in French Island. I will continue to advocate to make sure that we have funding available in the state budget uh, for this. I will continue to listen uh, to you know, uh, our partners uh, within the town of Campbell government as well as the city of Lacrosse um, to make sure that their thoughts are heard by our state government officials. And I will continue uh, to advocate uh, our federal representative, our federal congressman, and senators to make sure that uh, we get the leadership and uh, financial assistance from the federal government on this. All right. That's Wisconsin State Senator Brad Paff. Hey, Brad, thanks a lot for joining me. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate the opportunity. Have a good one. Yep, you too. All right. One more quick break. We'll be back. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk. Just a minute or so to go here, a little over a minute. I wanted to bring Jeff on, though. He brought up a good point. Uh, Jeff, go ahead. You want to talk about the PIFA's dilemma a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, one thing I wanted to bring up to Brad, and I appreciate the efforts he's doing very much. So, but I have some clients now that are just not going to look at anything on French Island because their concern is, let's say, even if we do get a really good system that purifies their drinking water, their concern is from what they've read. What about those chemicals in the warm steam of the showers? You know, the vapors in there and breathing that in. They understand there could be a big concern with that as well. So how if there is a concern with that or it does prove to be that could be an issue, how are we going to remedy that part as well for those people on French Island? All right. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Jeff. Yeah. An- another problem with PFAS. Now we can't even shower with PFAS water because apparently the steam from your hot water has got PFAS vapor in it. Man, I did. Uh, we did have a story that apparently if you dry out the 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 sludge with pifas in it you could at least burn the stuff so there's that we could burn the pifas if we get it in our sludge that's that's a that's a solution yeah it didn't sound like some too many solutions though at this point which i wish we had uh thanks everyone for listening uh we'll wrap it up tomorrow